Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read from verses 11 right through to 21. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 right through to 21. We, for those of you who are here in our morning services, we are following a series in uh, the book of Galatians, and today we'll look at uh, this particular uh, section, verses 11 to 21, Galatians 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed... I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. Thanks. Good morning, friends. It's great to see you. Uh, it'd be great if you could keep that part of the Bible open. So if you haven't already, great to grab a Bible, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21. That's what we'll be working through today. And then as you do that, uh, let me pray again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful word to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray today, Father, for all of us in the room who do not yet know Jesus as our own Saviour and Lord, that today might be a day that we see the wonder of knowing him. And for those of us, Father, who do already know Jesus, we pray, Father, we would see today that we must cling to him and only and always to him and never to what we do. We pray these things for Jesus' honour and glory. Amen. Uh, friends, uh, we live in a world where performance matters, where if you want to succeed, you need to achieve. If you want to do well, you need to work hard, as the, as the old saying goes, no pain, no gain. No effort, no result. 
as my sporting coaches used to say, no swing, no ding, uh, no sizzle, no steak. Um, if you hope for anything in this life, then, then you need to know that, that it all comes down to you, to the effort you put in, to the results you achieve. Now, on the one hand, of course, there's really no point me telling you this. After all, you know this already. This is what we've all been taught from the moment we left the womb. From the, the pat from the parents, well done, good girl. To the rebuke from the teacher, bad job, bad boy. From your marks at school, to the bonus at work, to, to the acceptance of your friends and even all the way to your acceptance of yourself. What is it always based upon? It's always your performance, your effort, your work, your results. Friends, we live in a world where performance matters. Uh, in fact, this was driven home to us at the dinner table at our house recently. Uh, there we were eating dinner at the table when Isabel, uh, my, my seven-year-old, started talking about school and how in her class it's, it's all about the marbles. Well, that was intriguing enough for the rest of us. And so we asked, what do you mean? What's with the marbles? And she replied, that's what we get for being good. A marble. One marble for every time the teacher decides that we are being good. And she went on, if we get enough marbles, 20 marbles, you get a prize. A reward for your performance. And then with a, a kind of shake of her head and a you know, curl of the eyebrow, she proudly announced, and I have seven. <laughs> to which we all replied, ooh. <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, and is, if uh, in fact actually uh, sovereignly organised by God for this sermon, what did she bring home just last week as I was writing this sermon? This! Thank you very much, God. Uh, congratulations, Isabel Sorensen, for gaining marbles <laughs> through working hard and doing the right thing. Keep up the good work. Only ten more and you can get a prize. <laughs> but you see, friends, I want to say this is it, though, isn't it? This is how life works. If you want the marble, or you want the mark, or you want the guy, or you want the girl, or you want the job, or you want the respect of those you dearly love, then you'd better do the work. You'd better get it right. You'd better do enough. Friends, we live in a world where performance matters. And the question we ask this morning is, is it also that way with God? When it comes to us and him, to, to you and him, is this how it works with God? Because see, as we open up our Bibles again this morning, that's precisely the question the Galatians are facing here at the end of Galatians chapter 2. 
What does God think about my performance? What do I need to do to get right and very importantly, stay right with God? But before we get to it, let's just simply recap a little before we do that together because it's very important if we're going to get today. See, so far in the letter, Paul's been at pains to convince us there is only one message that comes from God. There is only one message that gives us life. And what message is that? It's the one I gave you, Paul says. The one I give you. What I told you then and tell you now comes from God himself. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, you might like to just jump back. Chapter 1, verse 11. It's a great little summary of the whole first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In other words, what I tell you, he told me. What I say to you, he says to you. There's only one message that comes from God. And why does that matter here in Galatians or for that matter here in the world? Well, for two reasons. First, because what Paul is about to tell us about getting right and staying right with God, what Paul is about to tell us is so unexpected, so weird, so unlike anything we would have guessed or have ever made up that for us to believe it even for a second we need to be convinced that this comes from none other than God himself. Second, it's because there was then and there is now another message being told, another option being given, another option that threatens to both deny and displace the one that comes from God. A message, as we saw last week, that, that threatens to take captive and make slaves even of those who have already come to Christ. And what message is that? It's the one that says that just like our world, there is something you must do to get right and stay right with God. There's something you must add to what Christ's already done if you want to get in and stay in God's good books. Now, we'll hear Paul's response to that in, in just a moment. But before we do, there's three things you need to know about that message. And the first is just how insidious it is. If you like, how contagious it is. Like some kind of awful airborne disease. Even for the best of us, it can sneak in and, and take hold. And how do I know that? Because that's what it did even for the great apostle Peter. Did you notice? Pick it up there, chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and, and, and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the, the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, not even, Bar sorry, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, what's going on? Well, it seems 
that at first Peter was living in line with the truth of the gospel. The gospel that says that anyone can be right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there's nothing else you need to make you right with God. But then this other group came. This other group who said, no, 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 no. There is something that you have to do. There is something that you have to add, and in this case, some particularly Jewish some things. And so what did Peter do? Well, he drew back, verse 12. Perhaps without ever actually saying it, or even even thinking it, even the great apostle Peter acted as though Jesus wasn't enough. And faith wasn't enough. And there's something you must do if you want to get right with God. You see, friends, I want to say, if that could happen to him, could that not also happen to us? And if that seems just a little far-fetched, let me ask you, especially today if you are a Christian, when you think of yourself... When are you and God most okay? Is it uh, when you come to church or or when you didn't? When you read your Bible or when you didn't? When you said your prayers or when you didn't? Or if you like to flip it around the other way, when you lost your temper or when you didn't? When you told that lie or when you didn't? When you hid the fact you believe in Jesus or when you didn't? On which of those days are you most okay with God? Because you see, if your answer is, on the day I did well, on the day I performed, then it just might be that you too have fallen for Peter's mistake. And you've started to think that by your works you can be more acceptable to God. That's how insidious this error is. Second thing you need to know is how pervasive this is. That that, that this second message really is everywhere. Both in the world and in the church. Like the documentary I saw recently with this, this former violent criminal looking straight down the camera with kind of broken teeth and muffled voice. And, and what did he say? I've done a lot of bad in my life, but I've done a lot of good too. And I just hope when I face God, my good outweighs my bad. And friends, I want to say that's what the world will tell you again and again and again. And it's not just the world. It's also those who claim to speak for Christ. Even they will look you in the eye and say, you need Jesus and you need more. You need him and you need you just like a group we have on campus at Deakin where I minister just down the road. What's the group called? It's called the Melbourne Church of Christ. What do they believe? Well, in their own words, from their own website, in the salvation of man's soul, there are two necessary parts. 
God's part and man's part. God's part is the big part, they say. But man's part is also necessary if a man is to reach heaven. In other words, yes, God did something, even the big thing. But there's more that you must do. There's something you need to add if you want to be right with God. You see, that's what the Galatians are being told. And that's what you and I are constantly being told. Why does that matter? What's the third thing you need to know about this other message? Well, it's that according to God, that is a deadly, serious lie. In fact, so serious that that Paul knew because of this, he had to publicly confront the Apostle Peter. I just want you to imagine that for a moment. What do you think it would take for Chris to publicly confront John? Not not just make John the baddie. I'd say John to publicly confront Chris. Well, multiply that by a whole heck of a lot. And this is what one apostle thought he had to confront the other four. See it, verse 14. Verse 14, I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel and I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, Peter, you know your Jewishness has nothing to do with your standing before God. So then why are you asking these Gentiles to become Jewish to get right with God? Why are you insisting there's something they must do if they want to be right with God? It's a lie, Paul says. Or as the great author John Stott puts it, it's the biggest lie of the biggest liar the world has ever known. And if you believe it, if you leave Christ for it, you will leave Christ for it. Along with all the freedom that comes in him. You see, friends, when it comes to the question, what must we do to get right and stay right with God? Paul wants us to know that what he's about to tell us both comes from God himself and goes directly against the insidious, pervasive, deadly lie that we're constantly being told. And so then, what does he want to tell us? What do we need to do to get right and stay right with God? Paul's answer? God's answer? Nothing. Nothing except believe that Christ has done it all. There's only one way to be right with God and that is not by what we do but only by trusting what Jesus has done. To see, friends, in the end, the difference between Christianity and every other attempt to get right and stay right with God is just two letters. Did you know that? It's the difference between do and done. 
You see, the world says do. Melbourne Church of Christ says do. These Judaizers say do. If you want to be right with God, you've got to do and do and do. But, but what does God say? Done. Everything's done. In Jesus, it's done. As the hymn writer so beautifully puts it, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. We'll see how Paul puts it there in verse 15. Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners, know that no one is justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Christ Jesus, so we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You know, they say you can always tell what matters to someone by the number of times they say it. And you, can, you can always tell what matters to someone by the number of times they say it. You can always tell what matters to someone, but well, so it is here with Paul too. I wonder, did you notice there in that verse 16? How is a person justified? How are they made right with God, the judge? Did you see it? Not by observing the law. Not by observing the law. Not by observing the law. But instead by faith in Christ. Instead by faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Just like we did, Paul says. Do you see it again, verse 16? We too, we Jews have put our faith in Christ, in Christ and Christ alone. And friends, can I say, there is nothing more freeing you can do in this world. There is nothing more wonderful you can know than this. That pattern of performance that turns our world does not apply when it comes to you and God. That measure of merit that runs your life does not work when it comes to you and God. Getting right with God and staying right with God has nothing to do with what you do. It's all about what he's done. And friends, I want to say, if you don't already feel it now, that changes everything. All the way down to, to how you think of God and think of yourself and even think of others. You know, later Paul will say, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. See, I hope you can see, here's why. It's because by this truth, God can set you free from that awful treadmill that constantly tells you that you're not enough and they're not enough and he'll never accept you just as you are. Friends, he will. He has. If you trust in Jesus. No wonder that other great hymn writer sings, My chains fell off. My heart was free. 
I rose, went forth and followed thee. Friends, when it comes to getting right and staying right with God, the only thing we contribute is the sin we need saving from. But of course, for so many, and perhaps even for some of us now, that raises all sorts of problems, doesn't it? I mean, after all, doesn't that mean God is for sin? Almost as if he, if he wants sinned? To which Paul immediately replies there, of course not, see it, verse 17. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. I mean, we identify as sinners in order to be saved. We identify as sick in order to be cured, like, like a drowning man adrift in the ocean. We raise our hands so he will come and get us and save us out of our sin. And besides verse 18, what's the alternative? To go back to that law? Verse 18, if I, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove I'm a lawbreaker. In other words, if I return again to the law, all I do is get back where I started from, right back to that very thing that God so generously gave to expose my sin in this first place. Like some enormous x-ray machine that says, look at how much you need Jesus. You can even go and cling to the x-ray. Of course not. You go to the doctor. No, verse 19, Paul says, if the law tells me anything, it tells me that that doing way of getting right with God, it's dead. The law itself sends me beyond itself so I might truly live for God. And how? Well, by so identifying myself with Christ, so trusting in him, that his death becomes my death. My life becomes his life. See it, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's how you get right and stay right with God Paul says that's the only way and to look to anything else or even simply to add to what God has lovingly done for us in Christ why it's to push what God has done aside it's to declare the cross a waste of time see it verse 21 finally verse 21 I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law Christ died for nothing and of course, friends, if we know one thing, we know that's not true. Christ did not die for nothing. Christ died to get us right and keep us right with God. Well, as we wrap it up, I wrap up our time together. You know, in that conversation I had with my children around the table with the, with the marbles and the, the rewards, and the, I went on to ask them, if they thought that's how it worked with God. You know, your, your teacher tells us that what you've got to do is pull your socks up. Do you think that's how it works with God, I said. What did they say? 
They're like well-trained children. No, they all moaned out. It's not that way with God. And then that little seven-year-old piped up again. What did she say? And besides, we can only pull up our socks to our knees. God could get them right over our heads. And of course, in a funny way, she's exactly right, isn't she? God can do. And God has done what you and I could never hope to do on our own and to which you and I will never, ever have to add to. Friends, in a world where performance matters, the wonderful news that comes from God in the face of a world that will tell you different is that your performance doesn't when it comes to getting right and staying right with God, all we need to do is put our trust in Jesus. Let's pray that we'll do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful, fabulous news it is that in Jesus you have done everything to get us right and keep us right till the end with you. Heavenly Father, again, we pray, Father, for any in the room who perhaps didn't know this about Christianity, who perhaps are still learning about Jesus, that they might know that all they need to do is trust in Jesus. And, Father, we pray that some would. And, Father, we pray for many others of us here who already do trust in Jesus, just as the Galatians did. We pray, Father, would you please be at work in us that we would never, ever think that we have to add to what Jesus has done. Father, please protect us from ever returning to that slavery. Help us always know and enjoy and rejoice in the freedom we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.